There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets and listeners of this show will get a 75 dollars sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com match just go to indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This podcast is powered by SportString, your digital water cooler. Stay fierce. Stay fierce. Uh, yeah. uh, stay fierce with Coach Val. Yeah. They gon' try to play you like you ain't being what you suppose. Try to keep you down, but you roll. Stand up for yourself, make them pay you just what you owe. Let them know you more than pedicure toes. Stay fierce. Yeah. Hey, y'all. This is the Stay Fierce podcast with Coach Val. In this episode, I interviewed my friend Michael Hootner. Hoot has the Sports Daily Podcast, which is an anti-racist podcast in pursuit of equality while creating a safe space for all. You'll hear about what it was like to lose a father to suicide at the age of nine, the most intriguing female athlete he has ever interviewed. 
You also hear Hoot rant on about Tom Brady. And lastly, you'll find out what Hoot's favorite cartoon character is of all time. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this conversation between friends as much as I did. Peace. Welcome to Stay Fierce, father, professor, basketball coach, life coach, podcaster, and TikToker, Michael Hootner, a.k.a. Hoot. Thanks for being on, Mike. Oh, man, I'm honored to be on here uh, being the silver medalist today. Are you kidding? <laughs> to follow in the footsteps of Natty White, though, that's, that's a tough act to follow. Yeah, she's definitely dynamic um, and passionate about what she does. I learned a lot. She's intense. She's, she's passionate and she's, yeah. she's a baller too. You know, she's not as good as you and I, and I'm not as good as you, but I mean, she's definitely a baller. I've seen her shoot a floater or two. She can, she can hoop. We're going to talk about your basketball skills today. We are. <laughs> we're we're going to get into you. We're going to evaluate your game. Okay. All right. All right. So where we grow up has a big impact on us as adults. Like I grew up in Delaware. It's a very small state. Everybody knew everybody. And I couldn't wait to get out. And that's why you know, I went to Stanford. Um, you grew up in Detroit. How has that impacted you? Well, I talk about this all the time in terms of um, – my youth coaches. And if it wasn't for my youth coaches, uh, as I'm sure um, we'll talk about in a little while, um, the impact of my six dads, namely number two, um, who, who in life uh, when I was nine. But, but uh, that aside for right now, you know, my youth coaches impacted me tremendously. I mean, they showed a belief in me that my high school coach never showed. Hmm. And so if it wasn't for them, I don't know that I would have continued down that path. And I might have continued down a really bad path considering, you know, what happened to me when I was nine. Do you remember the names of all your youth coaches? Oh, absolutely. And uh, Mr. Emanuel, I thought too. And he was really the first uh, person of color that um, coached me, but that I just, it didn't matter. Like, I still felt like he was my father. Like he just loved me, poured into me. He was tough on me, you know. He challenged me, uh, and and Mr. E uh, is just an amazing, amazing man. I'm still friends with his son Dave and and Richard Maltz. Rest in peace. He was the guy that really changed my life. Uh, he was my baseball youth coach and took us everywhere after the games, and whether it was Slurpees or Little Caesars, and you know, uh, just all those seeds that are planted when you're a kid it really allows you to see the world a certain way and you pay it forward yourself, which is what I've done for the last 30 years. Yeah, you have some skin in the game and you really don't look like you're old enough to have been coaching for 30 years, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Must be all that lemon juice Man, you drink in the morning. <laughs> Are we really going to talk about the lemon juice today? Val? No, no. I just know you personally. Like, you're a friend. I should have put on their pot. TikToker slash friend. I didn't add that as, you know, as one of your, your titles. But um, every superhero has an origin story. And it sounds like getting coached by some amazing youth coaches and role models was one of yours. And I didn't even start basketball until seventh grade. I wanted to be a cheerleader. And um, I got cut from cheerleading. And my math teacher was like, hey, why don't you come for basketball? So that's how I got started. How did you get into the game of basketball? You know, I remember baseball first, oh. um, but 
we just did things seasonally. That's just how it was. The rec center, Oak Park Recreation Center, like Oak Park Rec, they just offered everything every season. So you would just do soccer in the fall, and then you do basketball in the winter, and then you do baseball in the spring, and they just repeat it year after year after year. And then, so it was just something everybody did. Everybody played everything, you know, back then. Now, a lot of the people I grew up with did uh, hockey, you know, because I'm mm-hmm. from hockey town. I just never liked the cold. I, I always fell. And I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not doing the hockey thing. So, you know, basketball, I remember watching some of the people play and I was so intimidated because I, I was a little, I'm still a little guy, right? Like, but I was so intimidated back then. I just felt like everyone could dribble better than me, you know, but I could hustle and I had uh, an ability to compete. And if anyone talked trash or if anyone was like trying to do something better than me, I was competing. You know, I didn't have a lick of skill back then. And I didn't for a long time, honestly. Yeah, I was a late bloomer. When did you feel that you totally bloomed? Like, when did you feel like you were at one with the game? Oh, uh, I mean, I got cut three times growing up. You know, and I talk about this all the time, but I got cut in middle school. I got cut in high school. Like, uh, you know, it was devastating. I mean, the year that I got cut each time, the middle school and high school especially, was so difficult. Um, I just felt like I didn't belong. I was uh, lonely, sad. It, it, it was very difficult. But, um, you know, I stayed busy. And so that definitely helped me by playing multiple sports and just keeping my mind right. But, you know, when my dad killed himself when I was nine, you know, that sort of... Uh, uh, exacerbated everything. And so to answer your question, it wasn't until my second year in college when I met Eldred Cephas, who taught me the Kevin Johnson move and taught me how to yo-yo the ball back in 1988, that I was able to take control of the game and later play against NBA players in front of 5,000 people at Eastern University and take some of the Fab Five to the hole and do a lot of things that I never imagined that I could ever do. And so basically it took until my second year in college to really feel one with the game. And it was an amazing feeling. It really is. Okay. I need details. You, you just brushed past. I took the fab five to the hole. Can you give me, give me some, feed me something. So I was going to play, I, I was going to play, I thought I was just going to place at some rec center. I got my boys growing up, uh, you know, they were playing D2 ball. And I was visiting from California because I was playing juco ball in San Diego. And so I was like, yeah, I'll go. We'll go run, whatever. Let's go. Because, you know, I like to play street ball back then. You know, it's like you compete because if you lose, you got to wait an hour and a half. Right. So I was like, yes. yeah, and I'm playing with my boy. Right? They're going to carry me. So we, we get there and I'm like, where are we? And they're like, we're at uh, this pro-am. Oh. I'm like, okay. So there's a pro-am at Eastern Michigan University. We walk in the gym. There's 5,000 people in that gym. It's sold out. I'm like, I'm what? not playing here. Y'all, y'all can play. I'll watch. That's about how this is going to go down. And so they got ready to go. They got dressed. And then they were short a player. And there was like three or four guys that didn't say anything. And I was like, all right. I'm like, I'm down. I'll run. And so they gave me a jersey. I put it on, and uh, I went up against Carlos Briggs first. Carlos Briggs was an All-American at Baylor. 
Now he has legs the size of my chest. I'm telling you, Val, I was, and I knew him because he worked at a camp at the University of Detroit and Greg Kelster basketball camp when I was younger. And I used to go to the camp and I had met him because he was from Detroit. And so I was like, I can't believe I'm going up against Carlos. So on my team was William Bedford, Mark Hughes. And I was playing with Demetrius Caleb. So these are all guys from the camp. On the other team, there was, I don't know if Chris Weber was playing in this game. It's a long time ago. Uh, Jimmy Jackson from Ohio State. There's a lot of NBA guys playing in this league. And so the first time down the floor, Carlos Briggs tries to press up on me and disrespect me. Now I understand I'm going to get disrespected. I'm small and I'm white and all that stuff. But take you back to the KJ, the Kevin Johnson move that I learned a year prior. And I hit him with a KJ so bad, he almost fell down. I go by him at the top of the key. I drop a no-look pass to William Bedford in the short corner, and he yokes that thing home so hard. I don't think I ever dropped a dime veil to anyone that dunked the ball. Wow. And the crowd went nuts. <laughs> and so next time down the floor, no lie, the next possession, uh, I get a fast break, and, you know, like I felt like 50 people were right on my tail, right? And so I go up, I fake the layup, and I drop it on a no-look bounce pass behind me. And Mark Hughes, who now works in the Clippers organization, I believe, he was trailing the play and yoked it. The crowd went nuts again. Now, I probably did some other things that were bad, good and bad, but I don't remember anything except those two plays. And, <laughs> you know, but but, but it, you talk about the grind, right? And we talk about delayed gratification and not having everything handed to you, right? You got cut from cheerleading, you know, and I got cut three times short little five, seven white guy. And to be playing in front of 5,000 people and to have those experiences, it really validated all my hard work. And then I went on to be the first MVP in the history of the school that I ended up going to a small D3 school in Baltimore. And, um, you know, it was just amazing. And the kids were asking for my autograph afterwards. Oh, he's serious right now. Crazy. Had you ever so practiced it was a cool experience. Absolutely not. Oh, so you, didn't have, you didn't have an autograph ready for him. Nope. But it was, it was cool, though, you know, just to know that you worked. Because I worked hard. Like, I worked hard to the point guard that was ahead of me in Juco, I was irritated about it. And I was like, I'd go up to him every day in practice and be like, Marvin, I'm taking your spot, bro. We were good friends, but I'm like, I'm taking your spot today, bro. So it was, it was a wonderful experience. And that's why I've been doing what I've been doing for 30 years. Your story sounds like something out of the movie, um, Rudy. You know, I don't know. You finally get that shot, and he makes that big tackle, and the crowd goes wild. He's the smallest person on the field. It just reminded me of. Were they yelling your name? Were they like who? Who? No, I don't. I don't remember they were yelling my name. But but to that point, I sat on the bench for a year and a half in junior college. So I got cut three times, and then I sat on the bench for a year and a half after that. And Val, you know how many points I averaged in high school as a senior? Now I was only on the team because I was white. Let's be honest. I'm the last white guy to ever play at Oak Park High School in Detroit. <laughs> no way. I was a token white guy. I swear to God. I just had my seventh grade history. Uh, the next high school coach that was after the guy I played for on, he said there hasn't been a white guy since me. 
And so it was because of him that he said, hey, just give this guy a shot. So I played JV as a junior. And I was only on the team because I was white, which is fine. However you get your opportunity. I averaged 0.2 points per game. Now, that's not two points per game. That's 0.2. So I scored 12 points my entire senior year, and most of those were technical fouls because the coach would put me in because I was such a good free throw shooter so that I would shoot the free throws if there was a technical foul. But in college, I sat for a year and a half after being cut, played for a Hall of Fame coach. But when I got my shot, the first game that I played significant minutes, I scored 11 points. My ass was ready. I had three threes against College of the Desert and a steal and a layup. And can't anybody ever take those three times I got cut away from me? And can't ever, no one ever take away the 11 points that I had in my first game that I ever had significant minutes. And you talk about delayed gratification, no greater feeling than that. There's no greater feeling than winning a national championship like you twice. But, but, but for my journey, you know, that was sort of part of the culmination of hard work and something that nobody can take away from you ever again when you put in the time and, and see the fruits of your labor. And if anyone's listening that's, you know, that's sitting on the bench, always be ready. You never know when your number is going to be called. You never know. So, um, Absolutely. and watch Coach yeah. Val's videos also if you haven't yet about some of these topics because they're, they're, they're they'll resonate with you and they're funny, but they're real, they're really true. About you know, just be patient, like eventually your number will be called. Yeah, for sure. I always tell my kids that my um oldest son um didn't really get much playing time, he's at a D3 school in Massachusetts, and um, it was hard on him, but we constantly talked about his mindset being ready. Um, putting that work in when he's not playing. And I think that helped him keep his mental game on point instead of, because you can either go either way. You can become sour and bitter about it, or you can you know, continue to contribute to the team and stay engaged. And I'm glad he went the positive route. And I'm very proud of him because I've gone the other way as a player. I've been that negative person on the team before. Well, other, there's other reasons for that. But, you know, your son's going to be able to leverage that one day and be like, look, I was a national champ runner up and he's going to leverage what that what that did for him. He doesn't even realize it yet. That's true. That is true. You mentioned um, about getting cut and you're and having getting cut for basketball. And around that time, your your dad committed suicide. Yeah. How did how. I, can you, I can't, I don't even know what the right question to ask. I wrote it down, but when now that I hear it verbally, how do you come to terms with that as a nine-year-old? And then as, as an adult, how do you think about yourself now that, that you've gone through that? Well, your brain's mush at that point, right? You just uh, know that someone for the first time, you know, cared about you and loved you in a way that you're, so he was number two, was a running joke in my family. I have six dads. You can laugh. It's okay. Right. So my first dad, I never really had a relationship with. And the second dad, uh, whose name I took on, uh, Hootner, he was the one that I did everything with. We flew airplanes. You know, we played basketball. His best friend plays football at Michigan State. And my mom sits me down on the bed upstairs of our apartment on that day and says, uh, you know, he's gone. I already knew, like, if you sat me down, like, like, you sit down, like, something like that has happened when you talk to, you know, your mom, especially when, 
when she's a psychotherapist, you just know something bad is going on. And so I can't even describe the feeling. Like it wasn't even sadness. It was literally if like you think of uh, Harry Potter and there's a scene in one of the movies where like his spirit is being taken from him, you know, by the dark side. That's really the only thing I can think of is just like, I felt like a part of me died that day. And, uh, sports saved me. You know, if it, if it wasn't for sports all year round and my youth coaches and my bicycle where I rode everywhere back then, uh, I had anxiety 10 out of 10, like after that for, I don't know, a couple decades, not all the time, not every day, not all day, every day, but you know, it, it came and went, but, uh, it, it, it was, it was definitely tough. And then, uh, navigating other stepfathers and boyfriends and things like that. That was, that was tricky as well. Um, but, you know, looking back on it, it's not something I'd ever wish on anyone, you know, sort of like some of the things that you've been through, but uh, it's become my superpower. And that's just sort of how I look at it now and why I think I have a greater sense of clarity of myself and the world around me because of my experiences. I don't have a choice. Well, that's, that's deep. Um, like there, there's so many complicated feelings that come with um, going through having a family member commit suicide. And what would you, what would you say to the nine-year-old you? Like if you could go back in time and um, immediately after your mom broke the news to you, what, what, could, what would you say to yourself? I don't know if anything in that moment would resonate, to be honest with you. I mean, even if I said there's light at the end of the tunnel, it's going to get better. You know, I went to therapy and I about killed the guy. I was throwing stuff all over. Yes, I hated the man. I was so mad at the world. I, it did, you know, so I don't know for me because I tried things like, Sports was the only thing that did it for me. If I, if I didn't have that, I don't know if any words, because I went to therapy, my mom tried to talk to me. I was pissed off for a long time. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that could be said in that, in that time frame that because I feel like I did the best thing that I knew how to do, which was just be immersed in sports. If you told me one thing, because I was so angry and so sad, I don't know if it would have resonated with me. It wasn't until yeah, later yeah. that I was able to navigate that space and make sense. When, when, and what age was that? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess what that taught me was was how to handle adversity. So anytime you die while you're living, and now anytime you face any kind of adversity after that, it pales into comparison to using your father to suicide. So I was better equipped to handle any adversity going forward. Now, I didn't know that that's how life was happening, but it basically that's how it was. Whether I got cut or someone was talking trash or whatever was going on, I was like, Dude, I lost my dad to suicide. You think any of this is going to impact me right now? <laughs> Are you serious? 
And so I think it, you know, in the long run, it helped me. There's actually a TikTok trend that says, uh, it's like, you think you can hurt me and you say the right. hardest right. things ever happened to you. That'd be perfect yes. for you. Yes. For sure. I did. You think you can hurt me? They cut me right after I had a baby. And that was like my, my yes. TikTok. Well, let's switch gears. No, it's, but it's, it's true though. We wouldn't wish it on anyone, but it's 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 just something that if you choose to use it as your superpower, then it's not your kryptonite anymore. Yeah, and and that's what you that the video you shared with me, that was something you alluded to about using not these things are no longer my kryptonite. These are my superpowers now. You need Absolutely. you need more viewers on your videos because they definitely are inspirational. For sure. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I just I'm just letting things grow organically, just like with basketball. I was a late bloomer, but I'm gonna be in front of those five thousand people at some point and hopefully it, it resonates with people. Like somebody on Clubhouse said, you know, and thanks to you, Clubhouse has really changed my life. And and if you have ten people that come to your house and sit in front of your, you know, dinner table or on the couch in your living room. And you're sharing your story with them. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be cool to have 10 people sitting in your living room? Yeah. So, you know, we all want, you know, lots of viewers. And But the, the only reason I would like increased number of viewers like you is because it, it'll resonate with more people. And so that's what feels good. So I just I just care about pouring into others. And if the numbers, you know, take care of themselves, they'll take care of themselves with sports. Well, speaking of pouring to others, you've been – and coaching basketball for for 30 years and well not you know 30 years but college basketball for 23 years 15 of those years were men eight of those years were yeah. women's basketball did you see a difference between coaching men versus coaching women yeah there was there's a difference uh, emotionally i think uh but but i think the fundamentals are are the same emotionally and and physically. And the, the thing that I didn't do a good job of early on coaching women is what I'm doing now, which is treating the whole person uh, when coaching. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't, I didn't do a bad job of it, but I didn't, you know, um, really incorporate sports psychologists, uh, you know, sit down with them and ask them how things are going besides basketball and besides school. I mean, I did it a little, but I didn't make it a point of emphasis. And so, you know, the guys have always been further along in terms of their skill set because the game's been around longer. Uh, but there were some plays, X's and O's wise, that I would try and do with the women. And I was like, I really want this to work, but I don't know if it's going to work. I got to adjust this a little bit. So from an X's and O's standpoint, uh, you know, there was a difference, but I think the main thing that I learned was you gotta, you gotta trust them. It doesn't matter what gender you're talking about. If you believe in them hundred percent and you allow them to make mistakes, then they're going to be the best versions of themselves. Yes. And so that's what I started doing my fourth year in, we were four and seven Val. And I said, I'm done with Princeton offense. I'm done with the dribble drive. You guys just freelance. Make good decisions, share the ball, share the ball, push the ball down the floor. I had a couple of quick hitters, nothing much. We won 17 in a row. 
No way. What? So I mean, what part of your career is that? That was my fourth year coaching women out of the fifth, out of the eight. And so it took me four years to get my life together. Now I was building, you know, a lot of it's recruiting at community college is tricky. Um, but I was starting to get good players, but this is even better. The year we won the championship, we won 17 in a row, ran the table. I had one player average 12 points per game, and I had five that averaged between eight and, and 10. And so that's how I knew we truly had a team that mm-hmm. shared the ball, that didn't care who scored, didn't care who rebounded. And uh, it, was an, it, was an amazing, it was an amazing year. It was tough on me because I put a lot of pressure on myself in year four as the coach to win. You're supposed to win in year three or four. Um, but when I relinquished control, that's when we won 17 in a row. And I just feel like I resonate better with girls and women now. Um, you know, having started my 15th year on the women and girls side, uh, because I just feel like there's more attention to fundamentals and the emotional side, which is just something that I'm, I'm, I'm better at, I think. The guys love it too, but I just, I don't, I don't not like the men's game. I like the men's game, but I like the women's game better and it just resonates with me more. Well, you have that t-shirt on bet on women. So you're all in. Yeah, oh, the hat too. <laughs> uh, Don't forget the hat, Val. I know. I, won't, I, won't. <laughs> I got the W shirt over my left shoulder. I see. You know, for those of you guys who are just listening, but uh, if you could see, we got we I got a lot of things you know back here that are about my past, and um, you know, just always a reminder when we're on these shows to not forget where you came from. And you have quite a background back there and in background as a as a person. So as a player, I can vividly remember um, this one game where we were playing Tennessee. They had won a national championship the year before. And um, we were playing them at home. And we were down 13 with 90 seconds to go. And our own home people, crowd was walking out. Yes, 13. And the crowd was walking out. People were leaving. Well, we ended up coming back and winning that game. And I, I will never forget that game. Do you have a game like no. that as a coach that you will never forget? Okay, so this story is crazy. So I had a player who played for me the year before. We only won 10 games. And I just told you we won 17 in a row the year we won the championship. So we were 21 and eight. I think we finished uh, after losing to the eventual state champs, Mount Sac. So we were playing at Grossmont College. They were our sort of arch rival. Uh, I also taught there part-time, so that made it interesting. So I knew the coach over there, didn't care for her too much uh, for numerous reasons, but that's neither here nor there. Um, as a person, she's a great mom and she does some other things that are really, really good. But anyways, you know, uh, it's more fun anyways when you have a rivalry. So my player transferred and was at that school and she was redshirting and she was filming that game. We were, we were playing away. Now, one of the referees is a big time Division One official. And to be transparent, 
the now husband of my ex-girlfriend at the time. You asked the question, Val. <laughs> you prepared for the answer. Now, he and I didn't have any kind of relationship at the time, right? But just letting you know the backstory. So we're down uh, the entire game. We make a comeback. They call a phantom foul with the game tied with 0.9 seconds left, something like that. And the girl filming runs on the floor. Thought the game was over. Oh, we won. Because there's only 0.9 seconds left. She thought the clock ran out, which is, an, which is understandable, right? There was only like a second left, and the scoreboard operator had stopped the clock. I mean, amazingly, on the road at the right time. They, they could have just let it run out with only 0.9 seconds left. And the crowd had already been warned. I mean, this was a huge crowd for a junior college game. So she's halfway on the floor, you know, excited about the fact that the foul was called, and she's pumping her fist, and, uh, you know, the girl, the girl had hit the free throw. So they're up one, right? The ref calls a technical foul. And so my best free throw shooter proceeds to hit both free throws and we win by one. And the other coach went ballistic, like literally went nuts. And so that's like my, the greatest game of the coach because I, could not stand her. I still can't stand her. And it allowed us to to run the table in the league. And, you know, it was just, it was an incredibly exciting game. And, uh, but we were down the whole game and, you know, that, that allowed us to not tie for the league conference championship. We won it all. So it was, it was pretty cool. And I'll, I'll never forget that for sure. That does sound exciting. How, how big do you think the crowd was? I mean, for a junior college game, there was probably three, 400 people. But for us, the whole side was packed. But it was loud. I mean, mean? It, it was loud. It was loud because it was a rivalry. It was electric. She ran on the court. Man, I'd be so mad at her. For sure. Well, she was our sixth, our sixth player. I thanked her after the game. Oh, no. You, that's, that's petty, Mike. That's yep. petty. <laughs> Shouldn't have um, transferred. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I win. We won. Uh, Holla. <laughs> <laughs> Can't ever take that one from me, Val. No. See, every, everyone has the game. I'm, I'm sure everyone can think about that one game that they will remember forever. And that's a great story. Oh, what do you mean by run the table oh so we won every game in in conference play we didn't lose a single game that's what run the table, the table. Means? oh i never yeah. heard that before i know didn't you guys run the table when you guys won back to when you won national championships well there's a year in between right your freshman and junior year yeah my freshman year i guess we, we run every conference no no we lost to no we lost we lost the game yeah we lost to uh, University of Washington, and they sent us a T-shirt in the mail, 32-1, and one, a big giant one. Now, that, they were petty. So we lost to UW. Um, yeah, I, I want to say my sophomore year, we didn't lose many Pac-10 Pac games. Yeah. 
But yeah, the Pac-12 is so much stronger now than it than it was when when it we is. were playing. I mean, then the SEC was the strongest conference, but now arguably you can say the Pac-12 is up there, or maybe the strongest conference. So yeah. time has changed things immensely. Absolutely. So you're currently in San Diego. Did you move there because you don't like the cold weather? Because I want to move. I want to move where you are because of the sun. And I, I know you are coaching um, a low-income first-generation high school of girls. What yes. made you take that gig at this point in your career? I wasn't going to take it. I got to be honest with you. So Stacy uh, Gregorio is my best friend. She's an assistant women's basketball coach at Kansas State University. Now, uh, I'm sure you know this by now, but she uh, worked for Heidi, Tara's sister, your coach uh, at UCSD, for two years uh, after she had this job that I have now. Oh, okay. And so when she left to go coach with Heidi, she begged me to take the job. I'm like, I'm not coaching high school. I'm a college coach. I'm not doing it. She's like, you have to. like, Because I helped her for two years. They knew me. These kids have nothing. Like, you know, they need you. I was like, all right. And it's the best job I've ever had as I start my sixth year as a head coach there. I mean, these kids have a 98% uh, rate of transfer to colleges and universities. They all take AP courses. They have to be on the bus for almost three hours every day back and forth uh, to, to get to the school that's, you know, run by UCSD because they all live so far away and they all get 3.0 or above. Like I've never had anyone ineligible. They don't complain. They cheer for each other constantly, even for the most basic things like a good pivot, you know, cause I don't allow certain things with my team. They can't make a pass more than 10 feet away unless it's a fast break. Like there's certain things in place that you have to coach a different way than I did in college. When you have players that can't dribble, pass, shoot, rebound, don't know the rules or play defense. So there's a lot of things that you have to do differently here. And that's why we've had so much success, you know, on and off the court. It's been an amazing experience. But I moved here because of dad number three of six. So my mom was moving out here after high school. I graduated and she's like, we're going to San Diego. And I was like, okay, we're going to San Diego. So I, really, I could have stayed and went to Michigan State and not played and done anything, but I wanted to play college basketball. Actually, I want to play college baseball first. And then I got cut. That was one of my three cuts. Oh, baseball was one of your cuts. I was counting on basketball for all of them. You know, first two were basketball and the third one was baseball. And I had a great tryout, too, and the coach was an idiot. But it was a blessing in disguise. No, looking back on it, Val, he really was. He was a, he was a pompous, and he got fired the next year. <laughs> you probably would have made the team if you weren't the coach then. Maybe, but I wouldn't be where I am now. True. So I'm grateful. But I did have a great trial and I loved baseball. I still do love baseball. You know, my daughter's playing softball and it's nice to be a part of her softball journey so far, even though, you know, I'd like her to play basketball, but that's that's up to her. What's up with that? What why do you think she chose um she's a gymnast as well, right? She does. I mean, she's been to hundreds of sessions with me as a professional basketball skills trainer, and she can do everything. She can do a rondo one and two. She can do Barclays. She can spin. She's got heavies as an 11-year-old, but she loves the cheering in softball, and 
the downtime actually helps her a little bit, I think, to do all those cheering and using her leadership skills and gymnastics. She loves to perform. So, you know, she could be a late bloomer in basketball and she's got enough tools in the toolbox that if she ever wants to pursue that, I, I really think that she's, you know, capable of being an All-American and doing some big things in basketball. But I'm not going to push her in that space just because I'm a, a basketball person necessarily. I mean, I coached college tennis for 15 years also, but I, I'm not pushing her down that route either. That's wise. That's wise parenting because the more we push, the more they push back. For Absolutely. sure. Yeah. And having the fact that she's playing sports and being a young lady, young girl, that's that's a win. Because most girls quit playing sports by age 12. And, and it sounds like she's going to keep at it and, and she's enjoying what she's doing. And that's that's key. It's key. Well, we need strong women and we need women with uh, seats at the table. And, you know, as we approach the 50th anniversary of Title IX here on June 23rd, um, you know, we need to continue to lay the foundation, you know, and people like you that are pouring into girls and young adolescents and even women to be the best versions of themselves and understand that it's not just about the sport. It's about the skills you learn that have to do with life that are going to stay with you forever because you're involved in something bigger than yourself. And so that's why I love being a part of it is because it just feels like it resonates with young girls and, and, and young women differently than it did with the guys. The guys are more egotistical and, you know, they're about being flashy and, you know, they're competitive, you know, just like the girls and the women are, but there's just a different level of sort of life coaching that's needed within the sport to get them to understand that it's, it's bigger than them and it's bigger than the sport itself. Yeah. As a mom of two boys who has coached girls, I see the difference. Yes. What was I'm the like, difference for you? Well, the big a positive thing is that the boys, I did not have to teach them how to be aggressive. The girls, I'd have to constantly work on them to be aggressive, work on them to be a little bit more selfish. It's okay to shoot the ball, you know, work on them to play hard and practice against their friends so that, you know, I don't want her to be mad at me if I play too hard. So that was that was the hard part. But um, boys, I, I find that they don't have a problem taking every shot if they, you know, down the court. Um, they don't have a problem being flashy. At least my oldest son doesn't at all. I'm like, you, don't, you only need a one dribble, not 27. And girls, I, I just feel they do a better job with the teamwork. Even even Victor, who's my youngest, says he feels he watches girls play and they move the ball better than what they they do. His mm. his team does. So yeah, if I can just get girls being as aggressive as boys initially. I mean, that's, that's to me, just half the battle, not minding contact. It's okay to knock somebody down. That's, you know, doesn't mean you're a bad person. You can help her up. That's the differences I've seen. Right. It's, it's funny you said that. So, you know, Roma. And so I've been working with her for a couple of years since Stacy left for Kansas state. And so she sat, which I didn't necessarily agree with the high school coach basically having her on varsity and not letting her play many minutes. Better off putting her on JV, at least getting her some PT. But anyways, her freshman year is over. So our first session last week, after she completed her freshman campaign, and they got blitzed in the first round of the playoffs, 
I said, Romo, you got to start to set some goals. I said, number one, I want you to put your hair in a bun. I said, no more ponytail. I said, because people need to see you not as four foot 11. They need to see you as something that you weren't last year. And so you have to have this persona and this sort of attitude that you're still a good teammate, but you're not playing anymore. Right. And guys can do that right away, right? They'll just, they'll get a haircut. They'll put on some, some nice, nice, whatever thread, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have so much confidence. You're just like, dude, you're not that good. And so I said, this summer, you need to average 10 points per game. And you need to have one or less turnover for in every game. I don't care if they're pressing. You need to set some goals that are tangible, reachable, realistic goals. And to your point, I just think girls a lot of times, they're not, like you said, aggressive and physicality is an issue. But you got to have a little bit of swag. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it fun, even if they're quiet like you and loud like me. <laughs> How do you know I'm quiet? You were a quiet, you were a silent assassin, Val. You didn't talk smack. I wish I could. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Val, I talked so much smack. I talked so much smack. It was unbelievable. See, I get mad at those people that talk smack and can back it up. Oh, they make me so mad. It's easy (laughs) not to, you know, oh, you can't back it up. If you can back it up, man, that got me. I got me. I want to talk about um, your podcast and um, how successful yeah. it is, and um, what drove you to start um, dedicating your podcast to being anti-racist and having it be a a safe place for everyone. I remember meeting you two years ago, I guess, through Bobby Kelsey. Is that how we met? Yeah. Yeah. And I love being on your podcast. But to be honest, I was I was nervous. I was nervous coming on. I, I didn't think, first of all, I didn't think that, I think that was my first podcast. And then secondly, I'm like, I'm not woke enough to be on his podcast. That's the, those were my thoughts when, when I was, when I knew about what your podcast was about. But um, anyway, what made you start the Sports Deli? Well, uh, honestly, it was the murder of George Floyd. And we were just talking smack about sports. And I was just like, this doesn't resonate with me, especially after what just happened. And being from Detroit and, you know, being involved in sport my whole life and locker room, I'm just like, we can't, I can't do this anymore. And so I had some contacts, you know, I didn't have that many contacts, but, you know, I had enough contacts where I was like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk shop a little bit. And I don't just want to talk about things myself, I want to bring on people that are in these spaces, uh, which later extrapolated into the entertainment industry and, and television, but mainly sports people. And I remember a lot of the answers that you gave and, and you know, you were, you're non-confrontational, so your answers made sense for those of you who want to go back and listen to that episode. But I just reassured you that you absolutely, you know, uh, have the ability to speak on the issue because there's so many things that I talked about on my show that didn't just have to do with being an anti-racist equality podcast. There was mental health. There's a lot of things from a holistic perspective that I wanted to talk about. Music, you know, like you said, your upbringing, 
Uh, and uh, I wanted to do it in a way where it would resonate with people to realize they weren't alone. And I do have somewhat of a hidden agenda where I want to be a part of something so much bigger than myself that there's policies that change. There's rules and bylaws that change. There's narratives that are seen differently. And it's why I'm so frustrated with a lot of the white people in some of these spaces that don't use their platform to speak out on some of these things. How'd you like that for a smooth transition, Val? Did you see, how, see what I did there? I know. That, 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 led, that led you right into I know, that wasn't question. even my next question, but is there a specific well, well, person that you are thinking about that is, should be more responsible and outspoken? Well, I know you and I have had this conversation before, and I, I, and I, I understand your point about the fact that nobody has to do anything. You know, people were really critical of uh, Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan for a long time. That's true. And that was just about giving back. And so if you're going to be critical of them and not give them a pass and have different narratives for people of color in sport, you know, history has an interesting way of showing the truth years later. Just like Martin Luther King did not have a very good approval rating when he was being a civil rights activist. And it wasn't only until decades later he has the approval rating that he has now. And so that's just one example. And so I can't for the life of me understand why networks, advertisers, people like you and me are giving in football in particular because it is the most popular sport in America a pass. And you're right. It's not just Tom Brady, but Tom Brady has seven rings. Peyton Manning has two. Eli Manning has two. Aaron Rodgers has one. They're the most, Ben Roethlisberger has two. I don't know how many that is combined, about 15 Super Bowl rings. Those guys have more influence than the owners of the NFL, who are all white. And the only thing we see is end racism on the small part of your television screen during the Super Bowl in the back of the end zone, which is what, for about a minute total out of a four-hour show? And we have to have the white guy, Eminem, kneeling in order to send a message to the world about social injustice? And so I will not until the day I die, until Tom Brady and Eli Manning and Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger, in conjunction with all of their clothing lines and shows and podcasts, start talking about social injustice. It's insulting. It's disgusting that they're not using their platform when they could in one post on social media have 530,000 likes yes make a difference and that's that's to me what is disheartening and un, unbelievable to me you haven't heard one thing really publicly 
I'm not talking about being on a coalition behind closed doors. Publicly, you do not hear these guys talking about any of the things going on. There was just another black man murdered while he was sleeping. Where where are they now? Where, where's the outrage? But Tom Brady wants to announce that he's retiring on the first day of Black History Month? Of all the days? Come on, Val. Like, I know you said that they don't have to do one thing. But, man, I cannot for one second. No, I get you. I, I felt that you were so, personally only going after Tom Brady. I, I hear what you, I know what you're saying, but I just like, I was like, not only Tom Brady, he has to be more people than just Tom Brady. But I, I, I feel you for sure. Got me all hyped up. Did I tell up. you how I really feel? Yes, you did. It's just not acceptable. I'm sorry. You're in the, you're, you're, you're in the public limelight. You're going to, and so Tom Brady just secured $30 million a seed for, for his new business without having to be vetted. Normally when you're in business, you have to go through certain loops and do all kinds of things to secure seed funding or angel investors, all these things. And this was just alerted to me by a um, person who I know who's in a black small business space that he can't raise that kind of money if he tried. Mm. And if that's not white privilege, I don't know what is. That's not leveraging the Super Bowl because you're the GOAT. That's that's white privilege. And so this goes way beyond talking about social injustice. It's about small businesses. It's about health care. It's about education. It's it's about a lot of things. Tom, say Black Lives Matter publicly in one of your posts, will you? Yeah, you know how you know how much self-restraint I, I've had dur- during this show, especially now to not cuss. I know you don't like cussing. <laughs> you're a very woman, but I can't I've probably wanted to cuss about ten times so far, especially during that past uh, diatribe that I just threw at you. Are you serious? Man. But they say that uh, profanity is the crutch for the conversationally crippled. So I'm trying to get my point across in, in, in a much more uh, calm manner, but it's pretty difficult when it comes to this issue. And, well, and I'm, a, great I'm a Michigan guy, right? He went to Michigan. I'm a Michigan man. I love Michigan. But if I if I see one more video of him throwing the trophy, of his clothing line, uh, you know, of anything else, of Peyton Manning's show, any of these things, it's just it's just disgusting. It's so insulting, you know. And and I and I posted a video of Jane Goodall for those of you who don't know who she is. You know, she's in the category all by herself you know she said at one point during one of her speeches many times i don't understand why black people even talk to white people to be quite honest with you after everything that's happened does that mean actually i know people have come up right now say that again should i just end the podcast right now since i shouldn't be talking to you (laughs) (laughs) well anyway so you you know how i feel val it's just uh i know it's it's a it's a it's a very frustrating thing to watch day in and day out. And that's why and if you didn't speak, you about societal, speak about societal issues, Val, I'll just finish with this. He should at least be speaking out about, about the NFL at the, at the minimum, he should be speaking out about the NFL and the ridiculousness of what is going on there. He should have backed Brian Flores. He should have backed Hugh Jackson. 
100% as the biggest white ally in football. And he didn't say a single, none of them did. They didn't say a single word. Not a word. Where's the outrage now? Well, we'll talk about pass interference in the Super Bowl. Right. And that's why what you do is so important. You're the Sports Deli podcast. Continue to have these conversations. Continue to bring awareness. And continually to, you know, and I called you too woke. You're not too woke. To stay woke. And to stay fierce in what what we believe in. For sure. Well, you said you didn't feel like you were woke enough to have the conversation. You never said that I wasn't necessarily too woke. But yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with you that I would dispel what you said about yourself. And you definitely have more confidence now. I can I can just tell in the two years that I've known you, you know, you're just uh, blossoming. And it's just amazing to watch you and the transformation that you've gone through also, uh, you know, and, and empowering people. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. That's why you're my podcast mentor. I'm glad you don't charge. <laughs> I don't charge for anything and I don't make a dime. <laughs> Maybe I'll like you want it down. I'll be able to make, do some commercials for Dick Sporting Goods and Walmart. That would be amazing. <laughs> and I guarantee you it'll be about what I just talked about. Just talked about. Otherwise, forget it. forget it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Your time's going to come. Trust me. It will. So you, um, you've been bringing on a lot of WNBA players. I think it was at 28 or 29, not WNBA players, but women's professional basketball players and coaches. Um, yes. yes. Who was the most intriguing female athlete you had on? Oh, wow. I think there's been 19 WNBA players and a couple of future players overseas and then the players of the WBL. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I really like Justin Carson. You know, she's really strong with her convictions and, you know, she's in the music industry, you know, and she's evolving herself, you know, for life outside of basketball and leveraging her platform as as a black woman uh, in the W, having played in two different decades, well, three different decades. early 2000s, the, the teens are now in the 20s. And she's part of uh, Athletes Unlimited as well. You know, and she's going into an area that's mostly a white space in the music industry. And so, you know, I think the more that we have black women uh, in particular as role models that young girls, young black girls in particular can see that they have a chance to do something that's not just in the sports realm, but as an artist, as a musician, as lawyers, doctors, you know, that's what really resonated with me. Um, you know, and all of them, to be honest with you, I mean, there, there's been some amazing stories. Your story's amazing. Crystal Robinson uh, came on the show. She was arrested in the middle of the podcast literally racially profiled in the middle of the podcast. I didn't know her at the time. She told me to hang up. I refused because I was like, this is exactly what we read about. And there's no video evidence or any kind of evidence. And because of the short video that we have for about four minutes, it's allowing her to tell the 
you know, the, the legal people, this is exactly what happened. And she was telling the truth and um, we become good friends now. So that's really the most rewarding part of it is everyone that I've had on the show. I feel like I have a relationship with now and, and uh, pouring into them in any way that I can. I know I consider you my friend. Like you're the you're the shortest friend I have, but you're still my friend. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm still backing down and hit a little turn, turn around jump I shot. Know. Don't get it twisted. I know, <laughs> I know you. I'll be shook if I was playing against you, but I know one thing: you you probably give it to me to post. I know you're gonna pass. You to feed the post for sure. Oh, I'll I'll I'll, I'll feed you. I love dropping dimes. But I have to say, I, I'm looking forward to uh, a lot of people coming on the show down the road. You know, I'm hoping to get Mahmoud Abdul Rauf. Um, I've talked to his people, and you know, he was mm -hmm. one of the ones that protested in the '90s in, in the NBA, and he's been a big advocate of social injustice. But I'm really looking forward to both of our friends, uh, Crystal Bradford, who was just signed by the Chicago Sky, because she's got an interesting story to tell. So I know you and I will both be involved in that. Uh, both on your show and mine down the road, but I'm really looking forward to her story and, and watching her this year with Coach Wade, who's now a USA Olympic coach. What? And the, uh, he's on the USA basketball coaching staff now and, you know, the defending WNBA champ, Chicago Sky head coach. And he was on my show also. He he and his wife, Ed, Edwidge Lawson Wade, playing WNBA also, and both of them are amazing. So it's just amazing how you know, things sort of work out. But yeah, I'm looking forward to Crystal's story on your podcast and mine and having her share what she's been through recently and, and how that can help others going through a hard time as well. Yeah, me too. So that was, you answered my next question. I was like, what's next? What's next for Professor Mike? And you told me what's next. Well, yeah, I mean, that's next for the podcast. But, uh, you know, I'm on a think tank with uh, Hugh Jackson called Enough which is to put pressure on the media and uh, owners and advertisers to get some things changed in the NFL. Um, and there's some pretty powerful people that are part of this think tank. So I, whatever it is that I end up doing, like I just helped somebody today who is a future major league baseball all-star get in touch with some uh, very trustworthy people in the crypto NFT space. And so that's all I want to do is connect. And uh, my long-term uh, hopes are to coach college basketball again at some point as a, okay. sort of a holistic coach, a skills trainer, and, a, you know, using my life coaching skills in that space. Well, you got some great experiences and wisdom from the short, what, 52 years that you've no. been alive Old, and you're not, you're not, you're not 52, really. I mean, you, you have a young spirit, you know, like, it's not like I look at you as some, some old white dude, although I'm like two years younger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, see, you just lost cool points. Turn your hat around. Turn your hat back. <laughs> no. There you go. There you go. No, but for real, I think, I think being involved in, what we're doing like with podcasts and TikTok that that keeps us young that keeps us feeling like mm -hmm. we're relevant and we know what's going what's going on so um yeah we're not the average 50 year olds for sure absolutely not I, I agree it's been a lot of fun and uh hopefully the best is yet to come I'm looking forward to it I, every day i wake up 
I make my bed, I do my lemon juice, I do my celery juice, I go for my walk, I do my push-ups, sit-ups, and my first meal is at noon, and uh, I feel good about attacking the day and, and being a part of something bigger than myself. Well, are you ready for some rapid fire questions? Yeah. All right. Am I ever? Got? This, this is the most important question right here. Salt or sugar in your grits? Sugar. Ah! Okay, never mind. <laughs> Does pineapple belong on pizza? Absolutely. And bacon. That's, oh, that's two strikes. All right, I won't hold this against you. Who was your high school celebrity crush? Ooh, wow. Um, what's your name from E.T.? Um, Drew Barrymore? No. Yes. Oh, my God. I wanted to marry her. Oh. And then when she, wasn't she the one that was naked in front of Dave Letterman? Oh, I don't know. Oh, God. I, I'd marry her today. She has a nice show. She has a show on TV. Talk show. She's got a lot of nice shows. Okay. <laughs> Next question. What is a hidden talent that you have? I just put a video up about this yesterday, Val. Did you see it? Mm -mm. No. I can put 20 quarters on my elbow and catch them as they're falling. Okay, I got to watch that. That's a hidden talent? I think okay. I can do more than 20. I can you juggle. Stack them up? Oh, you yes, can juggle. You stack them. Nally White can juggle, too. All right, oh, candy wow. corn. And during nope. the pandemic, wait, hold, during the pandemic, I have to put this video up at some point. I made forty-seven shots in a row during one of my live workouts during the pandemic. Yeah, you have to put that up. Well, it was forty-five technically, but it 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 was amazing. And my reaction at the end, I was so pumped, Vale, because I was playing beat the pros with myself. So oh, I it's love 10 shots. Yeah, so it was, it was I, I, I was like on fire. It was unbelievable. That's a great game. My son loves to play that. We play it together. Um, oh, candy corn, nope, or dope? Candy corn? Oh, hella dope. Yes, I love candy corn. Oh, man. But people don't like it. I didn't realize that. That's why I added it to it. It's very but it's it's delicious. It's a vegetable. If you had to eat one <laughs> if you had to eat one thing for every meal going forward, what would you eat? Shrimp and broccoli. Chinese. Like with um soy sauce? Brown, definitely a brown sauce. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a clear sauce kind of person. What person, dead or alive, would you want to sit down with and have coffee? Hmm. Probably Obama. Obama. Is your bed made right now? Absolutely. It's made within the first five minutes of wake up, Val. Yes, same here. Now, the rest of my room is jacked up, but my bed is made. Favorite cartoon character? 
that's tough. You know, <clears throat> I would have to say Hong Kong Fui. Hong Kong Fui, number one super guy. Hong Kong Fui. <laughs> I'm going to look him up. I don't know about he used to go into a wall where the uh, ironing board was, down a chute, into a garbage can, and that's how his uniform, his superhero, came on. And then he would go into his car that came out of the man. And then my second was probably the Wonder Twins. Yes, the I know them. Amazing. I like I like the Wonder Twins. And then Tom and Tom. I liked Inspector Gadget. I like Inspector Gadget, yes. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? Yes. Three strikes. <laughs> <laughs> we can't be acting young and do that. Uh, oh, do you, you want one? Huh? You didn't say recently. Yeah. Well, are you talking about when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh, okay. But not as an adult man walking oh, around with socks and sandals. Okay, that's not. different. That's different. Do you watch shows one episode at a time or do you binge watch a whole season? Binge. Same. Would you rather fly or have super strength? Fly. Would you rather travel to the past or to the future? Okay, so my initial thought about this when I when I first started doing this show and I had this similar question was I would like to go to the future. But I feel like we're already living in the future. Like, we're going to have flying cars. You know, we're going to have some of the stuff, you know, where computers are even more enhanced and driving cars and all that stuff. But we really already have it. But I think it would be cool to go back to the dinosaur age. Yeah. Run from a T-Rex. Yeah, man, I think that would be unbelievable. What is your go-to karaoke song? Or your song in a shower? Brown-eyed girl. Oh, oh, that's cute. I also, I also like, I, well, I also like James Taylor. Um, Which one? Whenever I see your smiling face, I have to smile myself. Cause I love you. Yes, I do. When you give me that pretty little pout, it turns me inside out. Something about you, baby, I don't know. Yeah, I like that song too, though. You have a nice voice. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is a hard one. What was your last Google search? Kansas State women's basketball schedule. <laughs> oh, I thought that was going to be hard. You made it easy. Because All I right, just said, because I want to see when their next uh, game is. Oh, after, the next game is? After the next game, yeah, because I know the next game, but I forgot who the next game was, yeah. All right, let's put on your... Oh, wait, I got one other one, though. Oh, okay. Go ahead. We don't count that one. I looked up who the Rutgers men's basketball coach is because I know I... Well, uh, it's it's not pronounced Pickle, but it's spelled sort of like Pickle. I never heard of the guy before. It's like Pickle or something. And they're, like, beating everybody all of a sudden. And I'm like, oh. Rutgers doesn't even have a facility that's legitimate. And they're, like, winning. It's like a very hard job. It's probably the hardest job in the Big Ten. 
And the fact that this guy's got them to 10 conference wins and 16 overall wins and like on the bubble now is an incredible coaching job. So I was watching the game yesterday against Illinois and I was just fascinated by who in the heck this guy was. So that was, that was the recent search before that. Yeah. I'm going to look him up. I'm curious. All right. This is the last question. It's not really a rapid fire, but um, as a life coach, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to 18 year old you? Hmm. Believe in people, even if they don't believe in themselves. That's because great. you'll be amazed at what what you'll grab out of them in the end. But it's I think it's the people that quit on people just because they may have a bad attitude or they don't have the skill set that everyone else has right now. But pour into them and watch when, when they have a passion or a why for life. And that's your job is to bring out the best in people. And so that's, that's probably why getting cut three times and losing my dad has allowed me to, I've never cut one person bell in all my years of coaching. And I've advocated for kids that did get to give them second chances when I was an assistant coach. And I know at certain levels, you can't do that, but I had 25 kids one year as a junior college coach. With no JV team. Wow. I was like, if they're going to cut themselves, they can cut themselves, but I'm not cutting them. And I haven't cut one person in six years as a high school coach. That's crazy. Wow, that's amazing. For sure that you, I don't even know how you manage time, playing time with, the, with so many kids on your team. I didn't say everybody gets a jersey. <laughs> okay. All right. We got right. a job to do. They're a part of the tournament, but they, they're, I only got 14 jerseys, but the rest of them can work hard and play in the summer and play in the fall and be better versions of themselves next year. And if I got to buy an extra uniform out of my own pocket, if they earned it, then I'll do that. But they got to show that they believe in something bigger than themselves and put in the time, but I won't cut them. Well, I want to know where where can where can I sign up because I might have some um, years of eligibility left. <laughs> not um, where where can we find you online? Like, how can we support the Sports Daily podcast and what you're doing in general? If you just go to my website, thesportsdailypodcast.com, uh, you can find everything there, and then uh, my Twitter. My TikTok and my Instagram are all the same moniker, same same username, at Mike Kutner. So if you want to do anything to collab or pour into me or give me suggestions or advice, I'm always open, especially to people with profoundly different opinions like you, Val. <laughs> well, I didn't think we were profoundly different, but I guess we are in a way. But thank you. Well, you believe that should not be lowered. I do. You thought oh, it was that's right. critical time. There are some things that, you know, we differ on, but I, I appreciate your perspective for sure. No, I think you've, with the Tom Brady issue, you've gotten me on your side, thinking like you, when you mentioned everybody else, it was just only focused on him. I had a problem, but we're talking about all those other people, football, um, quarterbacks that are name brands, you're exactly 
You are absolutely right. Well, I appreciate you start. coming on. Pardon me? Try to get me started asking. again. No, no. That's why I'm, I'm ending it. I'm ending it right now. Thank you for coming on today, Fierce Hoot. I appreciate you, my friend. Appreciate everything that you've um, done for me as a, as a mentor. And um, I can't wait to see you again. Absolutely. The best is yet to come, Val. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I, I'm inspired by you and, and uh, love your content. It's funny. It's, it's poignant. It's uh, relevant. And uh, I think the sponsors and girls and professionals across the board are seeing that. And I wish you all success with the podcast. I know it's kind of amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening. Um, I purposely asked my friend about Tom Brady because I knew I knew he was going to go off. And he has every right to. He's exactly right. Um, we have a responsibility when we're in a limelight, um, whether we like it or not, to speak about certain issues and have a voice. And just one tweet can make a huge difference. Anyway, I thank you for listening. Um, if you want to find me, you can find me at I am Coach Val on TikTok or online at IamCoachVal.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends and stay fierce, my goats. Peace. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.